Take our Bibles this morning and go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I would love to take this time as well to just say hello to those and welcome to those who are here as guests for our baptism this morning. I'd like to have our ushers, if they could, real quickly, um, grab a few gifts and we can give to our guests this morning. Um, we're glad that you're here. We, we trust that everything that you see and folks that you meet and that which you hear uh, would be an encouragement to your heart. And uh, What you see is what you get. So if you're here for the first time or maybe you came with a guest that's uh, willing to raise their hand, would you just slip up your hand real quickly? Our ushers are standing around the auditorium would like to give you a gift. Roy up here, Frank. Thank you. Anywhere else? Over here, over here to on your way back there, Mr. Sion. A couple more folks there. Glad that you're here this morning. Anyone else? Just keep your hands held up high or the person you came with. Would like to say thank you for coming. And Kevin, one more over here. I think Dan ran out, which is always a good thing. Please take the whole gift bag home with you. If you'd like to take time in the next 45 minutes to just fill out the little guest card that's there, we'll promise to pray for you in the morning. We meet together as pastors. Answer any questions that you have or may have about our church family. If you're from out of the area, you just please know you're always welcome when you come back to the area. If you're looking for a home church, like I said, what you see is what you get. Um, hope you find us a church that loves the Lord and His Word and each other and loves to reach people with the good news of Jesus, okay? You can take that card and put that in the pocket of the chair in front of you or give that to an usher or one of us pastors as you leave this morning. And, uh, and again, I, I do apologize for uh, not being able to shake your hands this morning. I deeply apologize to the baptism folks for, I was going to go ahead and baptize you anyway and infect you, but Pastor Hobie said, no, you're not. So my heart was broken, but uh, whoever you are, I'm sorry. Katie, where are you? There you are. I'm sorry. They, weren't, they didn't let me. I was going to wear long sleeves, a mask, gloves. <laughs> Pastor Hobie thought they'd be a little strange. So looking forward to hearing your testimonies, and Manny, you'll be okay with PK, right? Yeah. You'll be fine. All right. Let's begin this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Let's read the first 11 verses in which we'll be spending our time this week and next, okay? The preacher, who I believe would be Solomon, the teacher here, says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. And I said of laughter, it's madness. And of pleasure, what does it accomplish? So you can underline in your Bibles, we'll be talking about those things. Pleasure really is his focus here. And he seeks to find that pleasure in a number of ways. Laughter is one of those ways. And pleasure is another. Verse 3 says, I explored with my mind. We know how powerful God made that mind from chapter 1 in the background study of Ecclesiastes, how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely, and how to hold 
and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. I enlarged my works, and that's really the, the second thing that we'll focus on in this text, is pleasure first and his works. He said, I built houses for myself, I planted vineyards for myself, I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted them in all kinds of fruit trees, and I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate the forests of growing trees. I, I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves, and I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. And I also collected for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and of provinces, and I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines, and I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Now, if you'd just like to underline, I believe you'll, you'll find over 10 different personal pronouns in the conclusion of this little section of Ecclesiastes 2 in verses 9 through 11. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart was pleased because of all my labor. And this was my reward for all my labor. Thus I considered all my activities, which my hands had done, and all the labor which I had exerted. Again, 15 personal pronouns there. And behold, all was vanity. It was temporary. It appears for a little while and vanishes away. And striving after the wind, there was no ultimate purpose. And there is no profit under the sun. And if you remember back to chapter 1 and verse 3, we discussed profit in those first three verses and it basically says in the great balance sheet of life, I still came up with a zero balance. After investing my life in all these things, I still could not find ultimate answers and satisfaction in these things. So I want to start off this morning by just asking all of us a question and maybe you could fill in the blank at the end of the question. I would be happy if I had what? I wonder what comes to our minds. I would be happy if I had... Chapter 1 taught us something. We live in a fallen world, so ultimately nothing created can ultimately satisfy the immaterial part of us, the spiritual part of us, our souls. The last time we were together, we learned that the Lord wants us to know all kinds of human wisdom. It's, it can be good. Get as much as we possibly can, but even the wisest person leaves us quite shy of realizing what it means to be emotionally, physically, and spiritually fulfilled. As Walter Kaiser states in his commentary, the author Solomon had searched endlessly for everything in God's created world on a horizontal, terrestrial plane to satisfy him, and he could find nothing. The problem, he says, calls for a solution greater than all the sum of its parts. Even human wisdom, when considered apart, 
from the wisdom that comes from the fear of God can only, he goes on to say, increase grief instead of bringing relief to the question of profit. Proud human wisdom only dethrones God and deifies man, pretending to give him laws and regulations whereby he can make himself happy. Chapter 1 was detailed, but not as detailed as we will see coming here in chapter number 2. Solomon now desires to get quite granular as he takes us on a quest to find joy in the details of what he had searched for to bring him happiness. And verses 1 through 3 uh, tells us very, very clearly that he'll try to find fulfillment in pleasure and laughter. What one author calls in older language mirth, all things that can appeal to the senses. This is where he goes first. And what of pleasure? We've already read this in the text. What does he mean by the use of this word? Again, it's anything and everything you can think of that would bring you satisfaction by exciting your senses. One of our recent dips into a cold spell, which we seem to have a lot of here in Northeast Ohio this spring, right? Thank the Lord for a light winter, but boy, we had some dips in temperature. Rhonda and I were walking across the parking lot of a local retailer, and I said, man, wouldn't it be great just to go home and step out our back door onto a sunny West Coast Florida beach this evening and just thaw out, right? Maybe you find great joy in going to your favorite steak place, or, or how about getting your favorite rhubarb pie while taking a drive through local Amish country? There's always that place in the country that makes their own ice cream too, right? Maybe you've had a hard day, and all you want is a big family fry to stuff in your car from Scooter's Doghouse, and, and that, can be your, that can be your comfort for the evening to make the world's cares go away, as well as clog your arteries so we can all get five stints. I know you don't do fries. Maybe you love to unwind by just strolling through the Cleveland Botanical Gardens. I like to do that. Quiet, birds chirping, glorious colors, well-manicured gardens, to just walk, and to breathe that beautiful air in that place. And maybe you have enough means to go to Paris and often take an excursion out to the palace at Versailles and enjoy, and carve out hours just to silently walk through the maze of glorious flower gardens there that totally cover the landscape as, as far as your eyes can see. And if you haven't been there, you need to look it up and just understand anything you Google about those gardens does not do them justice. What settles you down? What do your senses enjoy that you feel that you need in order to settle you down? Solomon and his court feasted daily on what the Bible tells us in 1 Kings 4, 22 to 23. 30 measures of fine flour, 60 measures of meal, 10 fat oxen, 20 oxen from the pastures, 100 sheep in addition to roebucks, fallow deer, and fattened fowl. I guess they had some big chickens. Historians tell us it would have taken 30 to 40,000 people a day to eat all this food. First Kings, First Kings chapter 4 and verse 20 teaches us that Judah and Israel were as many as the sand of the sea, which is 
a multitude, eating and drinking and making merry. There was a time in Solomon's life when his whole strategic detailed plan was to investigate teasing and satisfying his senses with every finer aspect of life. And his conclusion was what? That we already read. It's just futility. Ultimately, there's pleasure in it for a season. And God created it to be enjoyed, but it can't satisfy our souls. And what was the result of his investigation of pursuing humor, laughter. When we've had a stressful day, it's often great just to sit around someone that just simply makes you laugh. Do you have a family clown? <laughs> we have one. And I'll tell you, it's just nice to be around that kid at the end of a hard day and just listen to some crack jokes. <laughs> right? When Rhonda and I were first married, um, every night after the news, the Bob Newhart show came on. And uh, that guy's dry sense of humor just made me belly laugh <laughs> to the point where I would cry. And some of you younger kids are saying, who in the world's Bob Newhart? Well, maybe you'll want to know what good humor is and look him up someday. Right. And we'd sit there from 1130 to midnight and fall asleep laughing. Maybe you sit down, maybe you live all day long to sit down and watch your favorite sitcom after a hard day. We all just love to be around laughter. We love to be around that kind of joy. When I was younger, my parents got a monthly periodical called the Reader's Digest. Has it been a bummer since that went out of print? And the first section most of us went to in Reader's Digest was a section called what? Laughter is the best medicine. I went there as a teenager and just would sit in a chair and again, laugh until I cried at the jokes that most of you would probably consider, well, I mean, most of you 35 and under would consider quite silly of me, but it was good. It was healthy to laugh. Even Solomon who wrote Proverbs says that, you know, a joyful heart makes a glad countenance. There's there is, there is something to be enjoyed with laughter. God laughs. God's is joy. His spirit gives us the fruit of joy, to be sure. You may have gone out and purchased a year's subscription to XM Satellite Radio, so your car can have multiple comedy stations that are 24-7, 365, so at any moment during your day, in your car or on your device, you can tune into your satellite account and just laugh and if you can find anything good in those things. Even Solomon, who could pay for the best court gesture, the finest comedian, says laughter is good for the soul, but can ultimate happiness be found there? And what is his conclusion? He says in our text that it's madness. The pursuit of finding ultimate joy and just being funny or hearing funny things can be maddening. Why? Because you keep pursuing a good thing and it can never satisfy. That's maddening to the human condition. 
Robin Williams found that out, didn't he? How many other comedians who lived their life around comedy found ultimate emptiness in their soul? They couldn't survive. And how that breaks our hearts, right? He goes on in verses 4 through 6, as we've already read, to investigate finding fulfillment in construction and land improvements. I have a friend who lives to renovate houses. He lives in them for three years, and then he sells them. By the end of his third house, he was able to pay cash for his fourth. It's amazing. So nine years into his marriage, he's lived in a house that it doesn't have a house payment. Nine years into his marriage. There's nothing wrong with this, I suppose. If you're wired that way, Maybe you're a local version of Chip and Joanna Gaines, right? <laughs> love their creativity, love their passion for their work, love their family values, and you may love their program. Nothing wrong with those things. There's joy in following some of you on social media and watching you craft something out of iron or wood and follow your process of renovating a particular section of your home, and I enjoy those things as... You enjoy doing those things. I'd much rather be watching you than doing what you're doing. My wife would tell you. The Word of God never decries building or renovating. Never does. As a matter of fact, I think it's part of the dominion mandate. Solomon devoted 13 years of his life to building his own home. And it was much larger than the Solomonic temple. 1 Kings 9 tells us, and he built the house of the forests of Lebanon in 1 Kings 10. He built yet another house for his wife, who was Pharaoh's daughter. It's a pretty high standard. He also developed land and built multiple cities like Hazor and Megiddo and, and Gezer and Beth Hort, Horton and, and Balath and Tadmor in the wilderness. He built his gardens and got into the nursery business. At one time, Lake County was the nursery capital of the United States. You go out into Perry and beyond, and there's thousands of acres of flat land, right? Growing beautiful things. The wording of the passage that we read earlier today mirrored that of the early chapters of Genesis, and it indicates that Solomon most likely tried to rebuild the Garden of Eden, but in this garden there would be no forbidden fruit it was to be guarded and protected, for it was the most beautiful known to man at the time. And he constructed irrigation systems to water his gardens. One author concludes that Solomonic pools located several miles south of Jerusalem, and some of you may have seen these, in the Valley of Artos would have serviced the purpose of watering these thousands of acres of gardens. Robinson and Ginsburg both tell us that huge reservoirs built with squared stones and bearing marks of the highest antiquity were set in a steep part of the valley. And these pools were found in measure of 582, 423, and 380 feet in length, 207, 250, 236 feet in breadth, and 500, or excuse me, 50, 39, 25 feet in depth. And again, of course, God would never have called this quest to build and renovate sin, would he? 
But Solomon's conclusion to even pursuing these things, he concludes in verse 11, left him empty. Left him empty. Verses 7 through 9, as we conclude this morning. He continues with a a very comprehensive search for fulfillment in possessions and music. Possessions and music. Maybe you've been following some of the recent amounts settled upon by professional baseball and basketball athletes in their their long-term guaranteed money contracts. $253 million, $310 million, right? And you just sit there and roll your eyes, and there's only two reactions to that. You're either disgusted by it, or you say, boy, I wish I could have half of that. Right? You might say, mercy. Why didn't God create me to swing a bat? Or to shoot a basketball? Or to throw a football? I painted for a local developer through high school and college. I think Pastor Hobie even joined me on a couple of those, those jobs and, and contracts. And he had a local farm with one of the most massive farmhouses you could imagine. And the whole house, the whole farmhouse, the whole barn was full of antique and modern cars that would just make your jaw drop. And I could remember often on purpose taking other alternate routes to go get done what I need to do just so I could peek in the windows and just be aghast at those cars. And he never drove them. They were just there. Add to that the pool, the pool house that was bigger than the house in which I grew up. The Audi they gave their kid for graduating high school that looked like it came out of a Hollywood screen set. (laughs) Wow, I used to think, what would it be like if I just had one of those cars and just the bathhouse or the pool house. I'd be set for life. Eh. Maybe you'd think owning an island like Oprah or Johnny Depp would be the greatest thing. Man, if I could just get away on my private helicopter to an island away from everything and everybody that bothers me and just hear the warm gulf waters lapping up on a pure white sandy beach and nothing but the Chirp, bellow, call of a pelican. Leave me alone. Man, to be like Elon Musk or Richard Branson and build a vessel to take me and my family on a ride around space, couple orbits around Earth, nice steak dinner, and come on back for the evening. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? And music, do you love music? Many of us do. Many have centered our lives around pursuing the pursuit of making a lifestyle off of our music, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Man, you can think, if I could just get season tickets for the Cleveland Orchestra and Chorus Concert, man, that would just be phenomenal. If I could go out, you know, to Severance Hall, or I could just go sit on the grassy plains there near Richfield, and I can just listen to great music all night long. Man, what if I had the money to actually buy the Cleveland Orchestra? I could bring them to me whenever I wanted to play. And the chorus, too, to sing in my gardens while I sip tea. (laughs) I owned them. What did Solomon have for possessions? 
1 Kings 10, verses 14 to 29 tells us the account of Solomon's riches. He had fleets of Ophir, 1 Kings 9, 26 to 28. So great was his wealth that silver and gold were considered as mere stones in his kingdom, 1 Kings 10, 27 teaches us. Could you imagine that? He owned everything he could see, and he saw a long way. So the conclusion is what? Remember the question we asked at the beginning? I would be happy if I had... What would be the profit? Again, Solomon weighed out in the great balance sheet of life, and he had all these things and invested all this time and all this wisdom and all these pleasures that appealed to his senses, and he came to a zero balance. When it came to the filling up of his soul, there was still a void left. We've already read verses 9 through 11, and we had you underline, if you wanted to, 15 personal pronouns and the conclusion here that he makes is this was a pursuit that was personal. This is something that I did apart from God. I did this during a time when I was walking away from God. And that's why these 15 personal pronouns are here. There was nothing wrong with pursuing these things, but I did it apart from God. And so I lost that great purpose in life, that, that great eternal purpose in life while I was pursuing all these things on this terrestrial plane that I thought could satisfy my soul, and I came up empty. It wasn't a zero-account balance. I was living at the bottom of the barrel, and you would say, in the Hebrew tongue, I was even looking up at the bottom of the barrel after I tried all these things and had all these things. I would like to just kind of challenge your hearts this morning with this thought. While there's nothing wrong with the pursuit of any of these things, and there's nothing innately sinful about these things, can I just share with you that pursuing these things apart from God would be sin. Cross-reference in the margin of your Bible, if you would, James chapter 4, verses 11 to the end of the chapter. Don't go there. This is what James says. Read it and study it on your own time. He said, come now. He, he brings our attention with a very abrupt Greek language, and he says, listen up. He says, who are you to say, I'm going to go and buy and sell and get gain? Who are you to say, I'm going to do all those things and never ask the Lord, I'm only going to do these things if you would will it? James is speaking to a Jewish crowd, even in that context. But all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for each of us here this morning. Who are we to say we're going to pursue any of these things for ultimate satisfaction? For doing so is sin, but to pursue all these things while we walk with God and say, Lord, what would your will be? That's satisfaction for the soul. James says at the end of that chapter, he says, if you pursue making your own calendar and pursue your own things and your own pleasures without God, he calls it this. He calls it paneros, which is evil, which is the most graphic word for evil used in all of the New Testament. 
He said there is no greater ungodliness for someone who would claim to know Christ than to pursue these things apart from God. And one author calls that practical atheism. None of us want to do that if we're going to be happy. There's an old hymn many of us use, used to sing, and we love to sing now. I wish we could sing it more. Take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name. But his love abides forever, through eternal years the same. Take the world, but give me Jesus, sweetest comfort of my soul. With my Savior watching over me, I can sing though billows roll. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Let me view his constant smile. Then throughout life's journey, he will lead me all the while. Take the world, but give me Jesus. In his cross, my trust shall be, till with clearer, brighter vision, face to face, my Lord, I see. You know, that's what you're going to hear in the testimonies that you're about to hear. Regardless whether they're little ones or older ones, they pursued life and all of its things apart from God, and they came up empty. And there's only one person, not a thing, there's only one person that can ultimately fulfill a soul, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to encourage you, the folks that you're going to hear these baptisms from, they just don't know about him. They've surrendered their hearts to him, and that's made all the difference. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the simplicity of your word. We thank you for the transparency of Solomon's heart. For being, willingness, for being willing by your Spirit's guidance to put before us his own reality, his own shame, but yet his own spiritual conclusion when he came back to the Lord. We'll forever be grateful that we can look at this text and measure our lives by this text so that we will pursue life with God in Christ to know our eternal purpose, to know that you've called us to be parts of your family in Christ so, so that we can live for that which we cannot see, not for what we do see. And we can take all those things that we enjoy that we can see, that appeal to our senses, and, and use them to be out in this world to be light for Christ. Because there's many, many, many people who need his light in their souls. And I pray your spirit would use us to convince people who need Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be vessels fit for the master's use for eternal purposes. For you've given us ultimate satisfaction in Jesus. Now we pursue all these things to help others know that satisfaction in him as well. In Christ's name, amen. <laughs>